Welcome to Air Crew Interview. I'm Mike King, your host, and this is part two of our very first episode of Happy Hour with Paul Fu Kennard. In this episode, we chatted very candidly about Warbirds, Top Gun 2, the F-35, and he gives some great advice about joining the REF. I made a very conscious decision when I left the Air Force that I didn't want to fly. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember you telling me that, yeah. I, I really didn't want to fly. Yeah because it's limiting um and that sounds like a really strange thing to say to some to yeah to a to group people that potentially most of them want to fly airplanes. Like, yeah, why not? yeah 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 why I'd be able like, flying be limiting there, yeah. um <clears throat> well I'll, I'll tell you why I mean, I mean firstly flying a military helicopter at 50 feet and below at 140 knots it's great fun mm. believe me it's really good fun where you do it some of the places you go and do that is also really good fun i can imagine yeah but you can't do that in a, as a civvy. You know, yeah. y- your license will be will be dead by the time you land. Yeah. So there's the there's the fact that the flying will not meet the expectation mm. of what you're used to. So so in my view, um, I was, and people who, who follow me will absolutely agree with this. I was a dreadful academic pilot. Right. I really going back doing my Chinook refresher in 2010. I couldn't fly an academic quick stop to save my life. Really. I could stop the aeroplane really, really quickly in a, in a pleasing and eye-catching manner. Yeah, yeah. But it was nothing like what you were supposed to do according to the CFS training manual. Right, so it wasn't by the book. It's it a, wasn't yeah. by the book. I'm right. not a by-the-book aviator. Right. And by the book, you can do you can get away with that in the military because there's an operational need. Yeah. In the civilian world, you can't and you shouldn't be able to because you are, you are exercising a completely different set of rules and regulations yeah, yeah. and a different skill set. So I knew that my... My my flying style wasn't particularly compatible with the civilian world, right? So yeah. I knew that. Yeah. And and the other half of it was the fact that you're you are time limited. Mm. You are time limited as an aviator by age. There so is a point, point. No matter. How there is a point are, yeah. where your license will be removed from you because you're too old to fly commercial air transport. You can fly a bit longer doing different roles, but they tend to be the poorer paid roles. Right. So. Yeah. You know, a lot of people like me who moved into into industry do so because they, there's longevity in it. Yeah, that more longevity than there is in in staying in aviation. Yeah, as a pilot. Yeah, and there's also a point where you feel, I've been there, seen it, done it, got the t-shirts, got the models, got the books, got the pictures. Yeah, and you think, well, do I need to go around that loop again? Yeah, I think that's. I've talked to a few pilots, and I said, "Why didn't you go, you know, flying afterwards?" And they were just like, "I don't, don't want to." It's like when you've flown the best, whether it be helicopters, transport, fast jets. They were just like, "I've no, been the no, best." You, you start with the best. Once you've flown helicopters, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of yes. course, yeah. So I, I was a bit surprised about that because I thought, um, yeah, I just thought like it was like a natural, uh, almost a natural thing, like inbuilt. I want to go flying, but uh, it's not for everybody after the military. And, and, which and I was it's surprised not. About. It's not, and and also when somebody actually presents you with a bill for it. Yeah, yeah. It's quite painful. Yeah. So I, a couple of years ago, I went and I, I thought, you know, my accountant nagged me and said, you're going to do some flying because you can get, you can spend some money from the company. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'm going to go and fly something I've never flown. Yeah. Right. So I went and found it. I went and found a, I thought, oh, yeah, I grew up, child of the 80s, Magnum PI. Oh. Always wanted to fly. <laughs> always wanted to fly a Hughes 500 and MD 500. <laughs> right. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go and hire an MD 500. So I went and hired an MD 500 for the day. And um, well, for for a cup for an hour and a half, yeah, nine hundred pounds an hour, crikey, yeah, nine hundred pounds an hour, yeah, nine hundred pounds an hour. Uh, my accountant was very happy. Yeah, I bet he was. <laughs> uh, I wasn't so happy. No, no, no. Um, because I thought, oh, shit, 
a lot of money. It's <laughs> a huge amount of money. That is a lot of money. So yeah. I so when you, you start actually having to pay for your own flying, yeah, ra rather than the Queen paying for you. That's a different story, isn't it? It changes your perspective yeah, somewhat yeah, of on, on what aviation is all about. Mm. So, cheers. Cheers. So, for me, I, I do miss flying sometimes. Yeah. And I keep playing with the idea of going and getting a, a private pilot's license and, and, and scaring some poor flying school <laughs> instructor. But, um, I mean, I will do it at some stage, doubtless. But I can't afford to fly what I want to fly. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to fly Harvard's. Mustangs, yeah. Bearcats. Well, I won't fit in a Bearcat. They're like millionaire yeah. Playboys. Yeah, that's the sort of stuff yeah. I want to go and fly. Yeah, of course. That I would get some measure of satisfaction out of it. But there's not a chance for you to go, I don't know, like Duxford. There's like there's plenty of warbirds down there. Or is it, is it not as easy to say, <laughs> yeah, can I, can I do a bit of training and I'll fly for you? Yeah, well, the that's thing really is, simplistic. I don't that's know. really simplistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry it, does, that. it really doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. So um, a couple of, couple of tales. So I did... I did spend a bit of time at Duxford when I was a very junior Chinook pilot. Right. Um, and quite rightly, they require a commitment from you. Mm. And my timing was awful. I went up there as a very junior Chinook pilot. So pictures up there. It's me flying in formation with a Blenheim. Yeah. And a Chinook. So oh, I think, yeah, did you send me that portal? Yeah. So those, yeah. so that, so um, that was at Duxford. I went up, flew a couple of times with the guys up there in the, in the Chipmunk. Had a great time. Was came very close to buying a share in an aeroplane up there. Uh, really, went and flew an aeroplane, uh, the Pilatus P two, which is beautiful. Oh which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which most people know as the the fake Messerschmitt in Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic aeroplane. I went up with the uh, yeah. I went up with the owner. We discussed the price. I, we we sort of said I need to go back check it, confirm it with um, the long haired group captain, i.e. the wife. Yeah. Uh, and then she turned around and said. Yeah, great idea, but we're about to have a baby. Yeah. And so I'm an LCR pilot working towards CR, about to become a father for the first time. And she said, don't buy a share in an aeroplane. And how old are you at this point? 28. 28. Bloody hell. Yeah, I think uh, probably wise idea. So she said, go buy a Porsche kid. instead. So I went and bought a Porsche instead. Oh, um, I Which, you know, is a, is a reasonable, reasonable... Um, is that the model of it? Like, model of it there. Uh, yeah, so this uh, is what you had? Yeah, and what, the pictures what? of it there. That was an old 1985 911 as well? Targa. Targa. Targa top. Oh, yeah. I'll show you this picture, folks. Yeah. Like, I'll get a few pictures. Jeez. That's a cool car, though. It was fab. Uh, that's that's our old married nice. quarter at Odium. Um, so, so I thought, well, I'll come back to this vintage flying like mm. and of course you never do because you then get busy and then events get you get overtaken by events and a few years later I'm, I'm at Benson I hear this wonderful rumble yeah that's a Merlin that's a Merlin engine I go out Spitfire and uh, a Mustang come in run and break land I hop in the 911 spank down to the uh to the flying club and I help you know the the, the Spitfires already been put to bed pilots legged it and the Mustang pilot is still pushing the airplane in so I get him hand pushing the airplane mm -hmm. in and I said, do you want a hand putting it to bed? Yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. So he sat down and I, I sort of helped him. And this, this Mustang is tinking and it's cooling like, like, like shrinking metal. It's making that beautiful, beautiful noise. Yeah. Beautiful smell. Yeah. And I'm putting all the blanks in and all the covers yeah. and all that sort of stuff. He said, hey, have a sit in the cockpit. So I went and sat in the cockpit and I sort of went, yeah, that and that and that and that. And he said, oh, you know your way around the Mustang cockpit. And I said, well, I've flown the Harvard. I've flown the P2. Really want to fly the Mustang at some stage. And he said, what's your background? I said, well, you know, obviously pilot, 
flying Chinooks, flown Tucanos, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And he said, oh, he said, yeah, you could fly a Mustang. You know, he said, the thing you've got to bear in mind about Warbirds is that they were designed in the 1940s for guys with 150 hours total time to fly in a combat. Yeah. 200 hours total time. So he said, yeah, they're, 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 they would accept a higher accident rate on takeoff and landing than we would accept now because these yeah, things yeah. are really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, guys were going in a combat with 300 hours total time mm. flying these aeroplanes. He said, you know, they, they're not intrinsically hard to fly. But what they are now is very expensive in terms of insurance and very expensive in terms of a private operator um, spending the, the, the cost of converting you to the aeroplane. Mm. So he said, you know, the, you know the, the bit of advice he said to me is, he said, he said, you know what the hardest thing about flying a Mustang is? And I went, I don't know, probably a... A very very late overshoot because you've then you know a bit like Takano where you've got torque reaction you've got the you know, the the aeroplane will want to flick because yeah. you've got you can't you've got enough control authority over the torque of the engine. He said no no he said, no 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 so you cope yeah. with that. So the hardest thing about flying a Mustang is somebody phoning you up and asking you to do it. Really? Yeah. He said that's the thing. So okay. you, and to get yourself into a position yeah. where somebody phones you up and says do you want to fly my Mustang? Yeah. Costs you tens of thousands of pounds really? because you've got to have done tail drag conversion lots of time on a harvard you've probably gone and done the stallion 51 course in florida and the time you add all that up that's 30 40 000 pounds so people because these things are costing you know what's what what a you know if you if you use the gauge of what the two-seat spitfire world is charging they're charging broadly about two and a half grand for yeah, half yeah. an hour so you're looking at that that to make money which again you know they're making money there's nothing mm. wrong with that they're they're probably charging somewhere around four four and a half grand an hour to fly the airplane. yeah yeah so if you need 15 hours to convert to a to a spitfire at four and a half grand an hour you don't get much change out of 60 grand are absolutely you absolutely not no uh and that's the problem so right. you what you say you know would i love to i'd absolutely love to so I, I would simple absolutely love to <laughs> but it's never down. that it's never yeah. that simple and Yes, there is a, you know, you there is always a pool of 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 guys coming out of the air force and the navy. You know, Simon's good mate of mine's flown the swordfish down at, at uh, Yoves. Other mates of mine are, you know, Smithy Spitfire pilot. Yeah, good mate of mine. Obviously, flown loads of stuff at, as boss of the Battle of Britain flight. He's somewhere around the world flying a PC twelve, following the yeah. Silver Spitfire at the moment. Yeah, Smithy's a top lad. Lucky bigger. Um, what was he on? Was he was he uh, on Battle Smithy? of Britain? Smithy. Was a Chinook pilot. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, right. I, I don't know about the guy. Right. So Smithy, Smithy's <sighs> first tour was as a Chinook pilot. And then he went uh, to instruct and then went Jags, Reds, Battle of Britain. Right. So probably the perfect career. Apart from he <laughs> yeah. should have finished off on Chinook again. Yeah. Obviously, uh, yeah. But he actually did. Because I, I, I've had a good mate of mine took a Chinook up to, to Coningsby. And he and he actually, Smithy actually got a go in the Chinook just before he retired. Oh, nice one. He got another go in the Chinook. Yeah. Yeah. Real aeroplane. Um, so so it, it's... There is a, well, I would love to. I'd absolutely love to. I mean, yeah, with all the history that I, you know, that I, that I have, it'd be brilliant. But it's, it's a commitment that when you're a parent, when you're a father, when you're a husband, it's, it's a big commitment. To yeah, do. yeah, I can imagine. Because obviously if somebody's going to spend a lot of their own money converting you to their aeroplanes, yeah. they want you available a lot of weekends to do it. Yeah, are you available? Yeah, yeah. And there comes a point where, you know, if I won the lottery tomorrow, 
yes, I yeah. would I would be in Kissimmee next week doing a Stallion 51 conversion. Mm. Absolutely no doubt about it. Buying your own. Whatsoever <laughs> and buying my own. Um, I mean, you know, even Tom Cruise can fly a Mustang, so it can't yeah. be that hard. Um, but it's it's also that that whole commitment money and i would that that's sort of line that would absolutely i would love to go and do that would that would that would float my boat yeah but it's a heck of a financial commitment and you mentioned uh tom cruise there we have to speak about the new top gun 2 trailer or is it top gun maverick is that what it's called top gun maverick yeah have you seen him yeah of course match silly question but uh what do you think of it what do i think about it yeah Um, I think it's. uh, I'm gonna go watch it. Clearly, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it might be a. We might have to go and get a group of of hoods together to go and see it as a as a team outing, if only to to throw rocks at the fast jet muppets. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, I mean, uh, I've just written an article for Forbes about uh, about pilots, and I said, you know, for me, teenage me, I remember being 15, yeah, at a cinema in Brighton, as an air cadet, yeah, um, in my air cadet uniform, collecting Rafa money for Rafa and we mm-hmm. had to sit there all day basically so I watched Top Gun three times in a day and it's one of those sort of total life affirming experiences you know <laughs> I wanted to be a pilot oh, yeah. my goodness me I walked out and to be honest with you that is the movie that completely changed aviation totally yeah. totally changed aviation suddenly being a pilot meant you didn't look like a 1970s porn star with a really dodgy moustache suddenly being a pilot was you rode motorcycles, wore cool aviator sunglasses, leather jackets, and you had fun. Yeah. And you looked cool. And I think and that's, cool that, that's one of the good things. It, it's going to make uh, pilots cool again, you know? I mean, not that they're already cool, obviously, but back in the public eye, do you know what I mean? We, we, we've been less than <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> what nonsense is this you speak? You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be back in the public so eye. So what I... Th- yeah. and, and it did. I mean, the US Navy got such a huge spike in recruitment out of Top Yeah. Gun huge spike in recruitment out of it because of the way that pilots were portrayed yeah. and the way it looked it looked cool I mean, they made they made aviation look absolutely the photography of that film stands up today you Man. watch that film now and it's still the standard of the of the photography is still brilliant it will be a challenge to reignite it but the other part of it is that it also uh, again this i've just written this article for forbes about exactly this which is aviation's changed Totally, yeah, completely. So, um, the sort of hard flying, hard drinking, yeah, you know, cigar smoke. Hang on, um, <laughs> you know, what are we on about? <laughs> Friday afternoon in the squadron bar, everybody's getting hammered. We're throwing cocktails back. We're smoking cigars. We're singing rude songs. All of that stuff isn't really what today is about. I don't think so. Uh, and that drinking culture is arguably for the better gone. Um, yeah. Arguably, it's gone for the better. Yeah. You know, I think it'd be interesting to see if we get involved in a proper knock them down, straight up shooting war. Mm. How long before it comes back? Mm. Because it, it, you know, you look at the, you look at the all of the films about World War Two. Look at the Dam Busters. Yeah. They have a massive, massive wrecking party in the bar. Yeah. If you look at, you know. Uh, uh, because it could be your last day, you know. It could be your last day. So I think, yeah. So yeah, the way to the stars, mm. the damn busters, mosquito squadron, or, yeah, six three three, all yeah, of yeah. them, they all go to the bar and they get hammered between ops because it's a coping mechanism. It was it was something that made you forget about what you just seen. It takes your mind off the things reality, you've just yeah. done. Whereas now we have a military which is much more professional, I would say. Right. Um, 
and we have a culture that's much less accepting mm. of people turning up to work hungover. Yeah, the people that, again, I've written about this, the, the people that we need to recruit in today's military are, are less and less people with great pilot aptitude and more and more people with good, um, I'm not going to say computer literacy, that's wrong, but capacity, networked, that ability to multitask and interface and understand a bigger picture. I have people who do, uh, like, you know, play video games, apparently, mm -hmm. uh, people they want to recruit because they can multitask and they're Absolutely. doing a lot of things. Yeah. We've made the aeroplanes easier to fly. Yeah. So that's the thing, you know, you know the aeroplanes of the 50s and the 60s were, were, focus, you know, a were lot very, that, very yeah. unforgiving, mechanically driven aeroplanes where stick and rudder stuff actually was important. Yeah, yeah. What we've got now are aeroplanes where the stick and rudder is completely disconnected from the flying controls. Yeah. You're effectively moving a translational rate controller. You say, I want this effect, and I put the stick you into think that about corner. It, it does it, yeah. And the computer gives you what it can yeah. relative to the motion you're doing. Yeah. It is not a sense of, of feel or a sense of danger. Like you, you, The aeroplanes do not talk to you the way they used to in terms of buffet, in terms of, mm -hmm. of noises, in terms of all those little things an aeroplane mm -hmm. tells you where it's not where it's not happy. Yeah. The computer has control of the aeroplane nowadays. So yeah. your job as the, as the guy in the aeroplane, I mean, you're almost using the term pilot anachronistically. Yeah, yeah. It's almost not a pilot now. It's actually you know, the, the, the systems controller yeah. in the aeroplane. Operator or something, yeah. And increasingly that pilot is actually not going to be sat in the aeroplane. Yeah. And that's where we're going. And, and, you know, we, we talked about the sort of spotter community, the enthusiast community. Yeah. And, and how many times do you see people put up a picture of Riat 1985 or Riat 1990 and there's a Boscombe down. That was one this afternoon of... Every you know, jet in the line. Yeah, yeah. every... And there's like, like 40 Phantoms lined yeah, up yeah. and there's loads of C-130s and there's F-104s. Yeah. And everybody goes, oh, it'd be great to go back to the old days. Right, so you'd like to go back to the old days. We were killing crews every week because yeah, the yeah. airplanes were dangerous. Well, we had mutually assured destruction and we all could have been dead in half an hour. Yeah, yeah. You really want to go back to those days to poke, yeah. you know, we made the best of those days. We made our hobby yeah. the best of those days. Yeah. But those days were frankly terrifying. Yeah. And if you're an aviator in those days, your your chances of dying on the job were significantly higher yeah. than they are now. So yeah. now you might say, oh, it's already boring. Yeah. Because all the aeroplanes fly themselves. You know, this, you know, we've only got 120 odd typhoons. Well, that's because they're four or five or six times more capable than the aeroplanes they replaced. They can do the same job of 600 aeroplanes. probably hear this all the time. I get sick of hearing this thing. It's the F-35. They like, they absolutely hate it. And it's like, oh. Of course they do. Not doesn't annoy me, but frustrates me. Is Harrier fanboys. Oh, God, yeah. So I absolutely understand how the Harrier had... You know, if you look at, at post-war UK aeroplanes, you know, you've got the Harrier, you've got the Vulcan, yeah. you've got the Lightning, and, and it's kind of the big three yeah. of, of, of true British world post-World War II aeroplanes. You know, the Canberra sits just below, the Canberra the Hunter sits just below that. Yeah. But in terms of the majority of the people I would categorise as enthusiasts nowadays, the Vulcan and the, the Harrier are up on pedestals mm. because of what they did and what they represented. So there are people there that are absolutely predetermined to hate the F-35. Which is very strange. Because they see it as as not as charismatic as a Harrier. And they're possibly right. It poss probably isn't as charismatic as a Harrier. But when you see people say, oh, I bet, bet everybody wishes a Harrier came back in a service. Mm, 
not really. If I was a pilot and I had the choice of an F-35 and I had a choice of Harry knowing what I know about the threat systems they're going to go and fight against, you take the F-35 99, if not 100 times out of 100. Because simply because the, the, the world has changed. You wouldn't sit there and send a guy up in a hunter against a flanker, would you? Absolutely not. You no. wouldn't do it. No. You just wouldn't do it. Mm. So, yes, the Marine Corps still fly the Harrier. Yes, they do. But um, that's for different reasons. Because they have more money. Yeah. They have a different budget. Uh, the UK made some very harsh decisions in, in SDR 2010 for some very sensible reasons. And the Elite Harrier was a very controversial one. And yeah. I've got, a, I've got a lot of mates who flew the Harrier. A lot of mates. And they're all very, very sore still about mm -hmm. it. Um, quite understandable. You don't like your wheels being taken away from underneath yeah. you. I completely get that. But from an, from the social media point of view, Harrier diehards need to just let go. They need to understand in the UK context, the jet has gone. Yeah. They need to understand in the UK context, the F-35 is an order of magnitude more capable yeah. than the Harrier in pretty much every possible part of the spectrum yeah. and bits of the spectrum that you've never even thought of or never even knew existed yeah f-35 is just better yeah i think i will uh, grow on people again it's just like once it's into uh, well our RAF service i think people will love it you know and, and don't years. forget you know kids growing going to air shows now for the first time so all be, they'll yeah. know so that'll be their buccaneer phantom of the day and they'll be like this absolutely. is amazing absolutely yeah. so you know yeah you know, we're in a in, we've, we've seen over 25 years a massive transition from a number from a and the reason we've seen this massive transition is that we were you know, in the early 90s we had the products of the 1960s yeah so the aircraft yeah. we were flying in the late 80s were products of the 1960s yeah. where we had a very diverse aviation industry in same in the us where you had multiple contractors all of whom needed to have contracts mm -hmm. in order to stay in business mm -hmm. so they were, you were buying designs that overlapped all over the place yeah um, and it was the same in Europe. So you were buying aeroplanes to keep industry going. So we ended up in a situation in the 90s where we had all these different types of fast jet, all these different types of transport aeroplanes, all these different types of helicopters, which is great in terms of numbers, but it's ruinously expensive in yeah. terms of support and training. Because you're having to, you know, and what people, again, if you've not been in the military, you maybe won't understand is, we 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 learnt through the noughties that salami slicing didn't work. <laughs> so salami slicing was say we've got eight squadrons of F threes, we'll chop two squadrons. It actually saves a pittance. Yeah. Because all you're actually saving is the operating costs of those jets. Yeah. You're not. You're still having to pay for the all the support infrastructure. Yeah. All this all the technology support, technical maintenance support from the from the original equipment manufacturer, BA Systems or Panavia, whoever it was. You still got a team of. 200 people full-time yeah. at Abbey Wood doing all the servicing, all the contracts, everything else. That hasn't changed. Yeah. So you, your salami slicing, you've reduced your capability, but you've not actually really in, reduced your, your, your costs. Yeah, yeah. What we, the, what, what, where SDR 2010 did learn and where it was brutal was it said the only way you really save money is to remove entire capabilities, remove yeah. entire fleets. Yeah. So we retired Jaguar early, saved some money. Yeah. We scrapped Nimrod, we scrapped Harrier. Yeah. Because that, and we and we said, we're actually going to put a time limit on the time on Sentinel, which has obviously now been removed. But, you know, that was how you save money. Mm -hmm. And it, I know, it, 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 you know we're enthusiasts. We don't want to see our favourite aeroplanes go, you know. Yeah. In the Warbird sense, there's a, 
there's always a oh i can't believe that that airplane's been exported back to the us won't see it in the uk again well just just rejoice the fact that you saw it Exactly. Enjoy the fact you had the opportunity Everyone to see that airplane. It's just like, yeah, just enjoy it while you can. Enjoy it while you can. You know, you don't own it. You don't exactly, have it. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like, oh, I wouldn't have painted it in that scheme. Yeah, yeah. Well, well go buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, if you want to, if you want to Spitfire, you want it into a very, very realistic scheme with gas panels on it and everything well, like, else. Well, then go, go buy a Spitfire and paint it in those exactly, colours. Yeah. If you can't afford it, yeah. Then and if somebody else has done it, well, it's. It's kind of their right, you know. You you see it every day. You you see a, you see a beautiful car. You see like a Lambo or a Porsche or a Mercedes come past, and you go, "Goodness me, what did you buy in that colour?" Because it's their choice. So obviously this is archetypal aviators. This one fair. I'm nervous about, chaps. Uh, so this oh stuff is is disgusting. Doesn't really smell of anything. No, there's a reason for that. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> right. Cheers, Cheers boo. Welcome to Nellis. Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I've never tried anything like that before. And What's this called? Jeremy. So this is this is the archetypal US fighter pilot drink. So they would drink that after a big red flag mission or is yeah, it on, 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 on the Friday is, night? This is a, a, it's a US Air Force fighter pilot tradition. So you can, you can um, if you've not, Listen to them. Listen to a band called Dos Gringos, who are a, a band made up of US Air Force F-16 pilots. Yeah. And they actually have a song named after it. I, I, yeah, I've heard of the song. I know the song, yeah. I just didn't know. <laughs> but I just we won't quote on... the lyrics for a polite audience. Mm. So it's, a, it's, a, it's almost impossible to get in the UK. Yeah, I've heard that. So like, you have to import that just from America. I just buy it wherever I see it. So when you, you see it, you buy it? Yeah. This is one of those things. You buy it when you see it. Is it cost it. you a few quid, is it? No, like, it's, it's cheap. Oh, when you it? find it, it's cheap. Oh, I thought it was really expensive, no? No, there's no. a reason. If you tasted it, that's the reason, that's the reason why it's not very expensive. <laughs> yeah, you've got a pretty good shelf over here. So do you ever have guests in here, apart from obviously me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've I've had, I've entertained industry in here. Uh, I've mates down here. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a... The, the, it, it it sort of replaces the things that I miss about the military. I miss the crew room. This is my crew room, in effect. It's your crew room, yeah. Um, so it's full of the sort of stuff you'd have in a in a military squadron, which is tat hanging off the walls. Yeah. Uh, you have stuff that you've um, liberated from various places during your careers. Yeah. Um, that you proudly display, models, pictures, whatever. Um, it's what a it, it, it's that sort of. I go back to Odium and I go and walk into a squadron crew and it's just like, oh, yeah. And then, and as always, you it's a bit, you remember the good things. You don't remember the, yeah. you know, the, the sort of, oh, God, I've got to be up at six to be in work for a seven o'clock Met brief for uh, two hours in the tack yeah, bar. Lifting, always good, isn't it? <laughs> lifting triple underslung loads. Yeah. yeah. You remember the good things. You yeah, remember yeah. the stuff that was exciting. You don't tend to remember the, and, and that was, you know, when I, I, you know, I only had that limited amount of time on the aeroplane. But the OEU was good because when you flew, it was nearly always interesting flying. Yeah. You never did the mundane. It was very rare you did the mundane on the OEU. It was always exciting flying. And what do your family actually think about you being a pilot? Do they think it's really cool? No, not at all. They really... They're not bothered? No, we never never made a big deal of it. Um, It was... None of the kids have shown the slightest interest in doing it. 
uh, I've never pushed them into any. They're all doing different things. They're all interested in completely different things. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's, brilliant. It's, it's their lives. There's, there's a lot of military brats, and that's not brats as in they badly behaved. It's brats as in a term for you know children that follow their yeah, parents. Yeah. There's a lot of military brats in the military. The military's is a very there's a familial tradition in that where father daughter follows they follow on they mm. follow each other and that's great and i completely understand that same with some schools the same with some universities where yeah you yeah. follow it but i i wanted my kids personally just to go and find their own path in life mm. find what you know there is nothing worse i think than than trying to force a career on your child that perhaps they're not suited for but they feel out of some sense of loyalty they should follow so yeah. i said you know i never I, I said always said to my kids if you want to do it i'll encourage you and i'll help you i'll support you but you you've got to really want to do it yeah you know aviation's a cruel game um, totally. you've got to really want to do it and you know the the people the other side of the barriers if you like yeah they only see the good bits yeah totally. you know, they see us at air shows having a hoot and a roar yeah. and you know enjoying ourselves and they, oh, i'd love to be there but you have to realise the amount of hard work that goes in yeah. to get there and then the amount of stupefyingly boring things you have to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, flying a flying a helicopter for eight hours in a straight line to transit somewhere is really, really dull. Mm. Um, in a, in Even in, you know, I remember typhoon pilots telling me about operations over Libya, mm-hmm. how bored they were. Because really? they're getting airborne, they're doing like six, seven hour sorties for about 20 minutes of ops. Yeah, because the transits were there and the tanker brackets and everything yeah, else. Yeah, you do a lot. It all sounds really glamorous, oh, yeah. but it's not like Top Gun. It's not glamorous all the time. Yeah, you do some really boring flying, mm-hmm. uh, and when you're sitting there busting for a leak in an immersion suit <laughs> and you're two hours away from landing, it ain't glamorous. Where'd you go? Uh, well, there's it. There. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the Chinook had a uh, a relief tube down the back, which. Obviously, the senior soldiers that we used to fly sometimes knew it was a relief tube. So what we would we would tell even the, the name sounds awful. <laughs> relief, tube. relief tube, yeah, yeah. But we would tell the very junior officers it was a Gosport tube and they could talk to us through it. <laughs> so all the all the no old sweat, all the old sergeants knew exactly what it was, mm. and we would get the uh, the very junior officers to get there. Get in there, tell us what you want the pilot to do. And all the sergeants are sitting there wetting themselves down the back of the aeroplane, and they know exactly where, what the yeah, um, yeah. what the officers doing. But uh, was your dad or family in the area? Would like is that how you? No. So, um, so I had uh, my natural father um, sort of left when I was quite young, but he was right. very aviation enthusiastic. So he left a bit of a marker on me. Um, and my stepfather was uh, very, very keen on the military. Right. So he was uh, he restored vintage vehicles. So I've got a, a jeep and a. A Dodge weapons carrier there, which are two vehicles that he restored. So I used to hang around as a kid yeah. in the back of a Jeep and stuff like that, which was just like immense fun. Yeah. So I got my sort of desire to be in the military from him, and there was some sort of desire for about flying handed down mm-hmm. by it from my natural father. So I knew from the age of five or six I wanted to be involved in aviation. Um, and yeah, I wanted to fly, but you, you build it up to be this enormously complex, difficult, dangerous... You know, only really clever people do it, and and the trick is actually not. There's some. Yeah, there's like that myth that like uh, a lot of people like I, I can't even answer the question. They're like, do you have to be really smart to uh, get in the no. RAF for him? And I was like, I don't know, but I know a lot of people who just work hard. They're not naturally gifted no. or anything no, like no. That, so. and, and you know, I mean, for my day, it was five O levels. 
that was that was the minimum educational standard all levels you needed to get equivalent in. of so that's the equivalent of GCSEs GCSEs so you needed five you needed five so in GCE GCSE money you needed five GCSEs grade six or above oh, five, got, oh, five, right, six. right so O levels were C or above of which you had to have English and you, you needed yeah. to have maths mm. but everything else was open game and I only got five O levels mm. you wouldn't know that today no I got five O levels, I got four A levels, and I got a two one honours degree. I got better as I got older. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, you only needed five O levels to get in. What about common sense? Does that come into it? Common sense, because there's a lot of smart people, but they don't have common sense. I've, I've met some very, that. very socially awkward people yeah, with almost yeah. no common sense in the military. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. You meet characters that are that are are on off. Yeah. They're like literally, they're binary people. They're one twos, zero ones. Yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's nothing between. No yeah. shades of grey, because actually, when they're on the game, they're fantastic. And then they have an off day, and the off day, it's just like, how on earth did you even get here? Mm. Um, because that's just the way they are. Mm. Um, so you don't have to be massively smart. You don't have to be massively intelligent. You don't have to be like at Oxford in charge in of the debating. Yeah. No, absolutely. Not. I did a history degree. For goodness sake. I think in America it's different. I think you have to have some sort of degree, well, don't you? I think they're, they're at, they're, the way they commission their officers is different. Yeah. So they commission through the academies and through the ROTC programme. Yeah, yeah. So that infers that each every officer has a bachelor's degree. But all that does is moves the bar up. Yeah. So the US Air Force, the US military has this problem where if you want to then become more than a major, you really need to be having a master's degree. Master's degree, yeah. So they're all, yeah. everybody's going to try and do more school in, mm. in the US Air Force, the US military, because more school buys you more ranks in some cases. Um, and that you can, you can end up chasing a, a, a false perception if you do that. Yeah. You end up with lots of people that have spent lots of time in school. Yeah. Uh, and one of my, one of my, one of the things I would, con- I would be concerned about about the military nowadays is that we'd not actually breeding any experts in anything yeah what we're doing i've is heard that before we're breeding people we're breeding senior officers who are who are yeah you don't you, don't get me wrong it's very very rare you find an idiot as a very senior officer you do find them but it's very <laughs> well, yeah, rare you yeah. find an idiot yeah, yeah. what you do is you find somebody who actually is is a very capable individual but he has no depth of knowledge mm. apart from the frontline role that he did Mm. So you'll find you'll find somebody who was who knows everything there is to know about strike attack because he yeah. he flew about eight tours on tornadoes. Yeah, but he doesn't actually understand the broader piece because mm-hmm. he's been dipped for like a year, eighteen months, and it's not you know. So some of those niche specialisations such as airworthiness, such as test and evaluation, acquisition, mm-hmm. areas where actually it's quite arcane. Yeah, and you can't just go in there for eighteen months and understand it mm-hmm. and be productive. You actually need years and years and years in there to understand how yeah, yeah. it works, which is why, you know, that sadly, I think we're heading towards a, an era of more and more regulation. Yeah. Because if you don't understand something, you regulate it out. Of course. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a, if you're a guy who if you're a, a very experienced officer who understands what your charges are doing, mm-hmm. you don't need to regulate them. But if you don't understand what they're doing mm-hmm. to protect yourself. Because obviously nobody wants to end up in a coroner's court being yeah, yeah. being the person that 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 signed off on something. You regulate. Yeah. So my sort of fear for the military going forward is that we're not giving our very senior officers the opportunity to specialise in areas because that they are concerned that if they yeah. specialise in an area, it will cut off their career paths. 
course, yeah. So they so people hop around the whole sort of era, the whole world of of defence, which is great. Yeah. They, they have a, a veneer thin understanding of lots of things. They rely on their staff. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, if the staff are all hopping around, wanting to be get that veneer thin because they want to move up, then actually, where how far deep do you have to dig before you actually find the knowledge? Yeah, yeah. You can you can you can open the book at any rank and find the regulation. Mm-hmm. Where do you find the knowledge? Yeah, and and that knowledge actually increasingly sits further and further and further down the chain. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, you know, there's a couple of us at, at Abbey Wood who, as squadron leaders, you know, you know, we're mere we're mere paper boys, at Abbey Wood, but we're having two stars phoning us up saying, my one star doesn't know this, my group captain doesn't know this, my wing wow. commander doesn't know this. Do you know the That's answer crazy. to this? Well, yeah, because it's this, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. We spent eight years doing this. Of course yeah, yeah. we know the answer. So when you get an enlightened two-star that understands they don't understand the answer, and, but they're then frustrated because yeah. none of the people that should be able to give them the answer can because everybody is sitting there playing the game. I see, yeah. So so a smaller military is, is, is a little bit dangerous in those terms because you're not bringing ex, a broad church of experience up towards the top. You tend to bring people with a very narrow band of the same experience yeah. up the top. So that that would be one of my concerns going forward. Is is how do you how do we make sure that we get a good spread of experience at the top? I mean, what advice would you give to young folks, let's say you know, uh, thirteen onwards or something, uh, to be going into the military today? Would you recommend it, and how would you, you know, give them advice of you know how to go about it correctly? Right. So. Um, if I could go back in, if I could, if I was talking to a thirteen-year-old version of myself today, yeah, I would say do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, really would. Yeah, and I would, I would say don't be disparaged by dinosaurs on social media. Yeah, because um, there's a few of them. There are a few dinosaurs yep. on social media that will complain. Oh, it's not like it was in my day. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was brilliant. You could have engine failure anywhere over Lincolnshire at ten thousand feet and land on yeah. a bit of RAF can't. Yeah, great, fantastic. It's not relevant. Yeah, you will still have the best possible time that you make of it. You will still be on a flying squadron with like-minded people. You will go and do things that you would not believe you are capable of. Yeah, you'll have experiences that you will not believe are out there to have for free. Yeah, some of them are frightening. Some of them are exhilarating. Some mm-hmm. of them are a bit of both at the same time. Yeah. So if that's and there's that also that 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 desire to serve. You know, for me, you know, the things I the high points for me were in 2003 lifting a uh, a very badly injured Iraqi kid out of um Ford operating base at Alamara flying him down wow. to Basra. Yeah, yeah. And we saved his life that night. Brilliant. That must have been massive reward, yeah. Massive reward, you know, yeah. his dad's in the co- it's my birthday. I'm in a tent really? on Alamara at night with a good mate of mine and uh as my co as my other pilot and we're in the cockpit flashing this aeroplane up the kid's dad's in the cockpit throwing his life savings at us saying start the aeroplane start the aeroplane oh, get, get him out because he's slowing us down now he's, he's used he's, his culture is i throw money at a problem and it happens yeah. he's literally thrown his life savings in dollars into the cockpit no way. like get him out yeah uh and we saved the kid's life that night so that that's wow. you will do things that will reward you in ways you cannot mm-hmm. anticipate do not expect to have the same career that I had in the same way. Do not expect to have the same career that the people that taught me how to fly had. It will be a different career. Mm. You will do different things. 
there will be a different ethos there will be a different mindset but some things will 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 prevail mm-hmm. and that sense of identity that sense of of brotherhood that sense of community that you get in the in in the military is still strong yeah uh, and looking at it more more objectively um you'll get a trade you'll get housed you'll get fed mm-hmm. you'll get watered you'll get um you'll get a a great set of skills that are instantly transferable into the civilian world so i would i would say to any 13 14 year old kid now my advice would be join the air training corps mm-hmm. just do it mm-hmm. if nothing else it will give you a sense of whether you really want to do this mm-hmm. do the join the air training corps do some flying because you may find you throw up every time you go up in a tutor <laughs> i had this um i do some air flying on a tutor and i had this this lad who got in one day and I said, what do you want to do? And he said, sir, I want to do aerobatics and you can't make them hard enough. I said, you really sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've flown shoot loads of times. He lasted eight minutes. Oh, God. Was um, he all that? He, yeah, he was all, uh, no, he was, he was good. Oh, really? But he, he hadn't flown with me, had he? Uh, right. He lasted eight <laughs> minutes before he threw his hoop up and he said, I've never done this before. So I don't know what's happening. I said, well, you know, mm. life experience, there life lesson learned. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't come in this aeroplane with all on the big, big yeah, time yeah. Charlie. Yeah, because uh, some someday somebody will trip you up, and it's just unfortunate you're flying me today. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I would say join the air training corps, get some flying experience, get some idea behind you whether you want to actually do this, mm. and 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 go for it because the air force needs people. It will need different people. Mm-hmm. It will need different people to me. It will need people with more more IT skills, more cyber skills, more uh, network skills, more maybe actually even social media skills because. It's That's a the world we live in now. Yeah. It's a different world we live in. It's a different battle space that we fight yep. in. So absolutely, I would say go for it. Enjoy it. Work hard at school. Don't do not do something. Don't do stupid things. Don't get yourself a criminal record. Don't, yep. don't, do, don't do daft things. The Air Force is, the military is quite understanding that, that kids will be kids. Yeah. Don't be daft with it. Yeah. Don't be stupid with it. Uh, keep your nose relatively clean. And, and I would also say engage early. Yeah. So one of the things I don't know if they still do them, but they they used to do things called tests in advance, where you could go to Biggin Hill or Cranwell now, and they'd give you like a quick quick once over and mm-hmm. just say, "Mate, you're not going to make this because don't because yeah. either you you color blind, your your heart, your so gives you early on don't invest too yeah, much. Don't yeah. invest. So yeah. yeah, go and do that sort of stuff. Yeah, you, know, you made yeah. You know, I had friends who who's yeah you know, just need to heal or you know buttock to knee were too long for the ejection seat yeah little so, things you don't little think things about, yeah. you don't even think about because you, you can actually be relatively short but have a an anthropometric measurement that's out of limits because yeah. you just got long arms you've got a long you know a long part of your leg or something that's just you haven't even thought about yeah yeah so before you've gone wholehearted all chips in i want to go and be a military pilot maybe go and have a take some advice so i take some advice I would I would work hard I would study hard I'd understand what I'm getting into Absolutely. Uh, and the good best thing about the ATC was you go and do your station visits you go and actually experience life on an RF station for a few days you have you, and you turn around and you think oh yeah that's what I want to do and if later on you say I want to go to university pick a university or university yeah. air squadron and again, the old swords will turn around and say, eh, it's not as great as it used to be. Ignore them buggers. <laughs> but but you know what? It's still free flying. Exactly. It's still, a, yeah. it's still the best social club you get in the university. Um, you have an absolute hoot and a roar. And you, yeah, you get some flying still. Absolutely. And yeah. again, you find out whether you're cut out for it and they'll, they'll tell you. 
you know yeah you're not you, you might not be a, you, you join the air force but you might not you might not make it through pilot training yeah. so maybe consider being a air battle space manager mm-hmm. or being a whiz op or being whatever the air force is expanding yeah you know for the first time in 10 years the air force is expanding because we need more pilots we need more crews we're going back into into maritime we need people to sit on the back of p8s we need more people to sit in the sit in uh, in cabins controlling our pass you know the air force needs people it needs bright people it needs switched on people mm-hmm. so the career's there you'll just have a different career to me and my, my colleagues but that's not to say it won't be anything less fun or less rewarding it'll just be in different areas there you go well phil thanks very much for the first uh, cheers episode of happy hour happy and hour. Uh, yeah it was uh, absolutely brilliant mm-hmm.